Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. Today, I'm here with a new friend, Lisa Waldman. Lisa has got so much to educate us on today. First of all, she's Jewish. She's married to a Quaker who's living with HIV. She loves speaking with people about um, intersections in their lives, which is exactly what Have Hope Will Travel is all about. She's a life coach, an author, a speaker, so much going on. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that you're here. I kind of gave the brief summary of you just a second ago, but why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself so we can learn about you in your own words? Sure. So I am originally from Rhode Island, the smallest state in the country, and grew up there never thinking that I would leave. And then I come out, get married to this wonderful, amazing Quaker woman, Martha, who gets a job offer in North Carolina, and off I go. And so um, it's been an amazing adventure. Mm-hmm. And I, we've just recently moved again to a different part of North Carolina. And okay. this feels like home. We've Uh, reconnected with a Jewish community here, which interestingly enough, the majority of the congregation are people who have converted. Mm, Interesting. Okay. And so people are not afraid of Jesus. Yeah. So they have their own experience with that. And that's been one of the biggest issues for Martha and I as an interfaith couple is that because of the history of Jewish people and Christianity, there's a lot of fear when Mm -hmm. we call them in our house, we call them Jay. And so when Jay's name comes up, um, people freak out. Yeah. And so that's been difficult. And so we have found a home at this particular synagogue because of the rabbi and the interfaith work that he's doing in our community. And Mm. because the congregation has their own understanding and they've totally embraced us. And so that's been amazing. That is awesome. Yeah. Christians have not always been so nice to our Jewish brothers and sisters. We have a lot of people listening in North Carolina. What city are you near? I am in Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem. That's awesome. So let's start with the Jewish questions and then we'll move to the HIV questions. Um, What is Hanukkah? So Hanukkah is our festival of lights. And so it is actually a minor holiday in the Jewish religion and has sort of been made major because of its proximity to Christmas and presents, which really have nothing to do with it at all. (laughs) And so it celebrates the rededication of the temple after the Syrian Greeks took it over and turned it into a pagan shrine. Okay. And so later on, sort of after it happened, at some point, rabbinic tradition, so rabbis love to tell a good story, came the story of Judah Maccabee and his brothers who fought and took back the temple and only had a little bit of oil, but somehow the oil to keep the light in the temple lit lasted for eight days. And so from that, we light candles for eight days and we eat foods that have been cooked in oil, symbolizing the oil to keep the lamp lit. 
and we play games with a dreidel and the letters on the dreidel signify a great miracle happened here because it was a great miracle. Sure. So there's no presents. There's, <laughs> there's nothing like that. Um, families get together and celebrate and light candles, but then there became presents because there was Christmas and there were presents. And so we want presents, right? <laughs> so course, I'm, not sure, yes. I'm not sure how it went from one to the other, but I remember <laughs> as a kid, you know, all your friends are getting presents and you want presents. Of course. And I so that's, a- that's pretty much it. That, yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who's from a Jewish Christian family. And I was like, so did you just get presents like every day in December? She's like, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, and again, when you're a child, it was, it was great. Yeah. So is the story of Hanukkah in scripture? That's an amazing question, and I am not sure is my official answer. <laughs> Perfect. Ironically, I would have to defer to my Quaker wife on that, who's pretty well versed in both all of her scriptures, and so <laughs> I don't know. That's fine. I don't know that it is. That's why I asked, so I, don't I was think curious. So, so I would okay. concur with that and say I do not think so. Okay. We all learn all learning stuff here. Yeah, I don't think it's in it's in the first five books that I am aware. So. Sure. I'm not aware of it either, but that doesn't mean it's not there. I don't have them memorized. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> so Judaism is both a religion and a culture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So from my upbringing, and I can't speak for Judaism as a whole. So in my family... Sure. We went to temple on the high holidays. We went to Hebrew school until we got bar and bat mitzvahed. And that was pretty much it. And so I wouldn't say that we were necessarily religious. We did celebrate all the holidays. And so I think the cultural part for a lot of people who don't faithfully go to synagogue, Mm -hmm. it's about the holidays and the food and the family. Okay. So... We mentioned earlier the the discrimination that has existed against Jews for centuries, millennia even. Um, how can we work to undo the work that we have done against the Jewish people? So that is a fantastic question. I think that learning how the New Testament has been used for anti-Semitism is a fabulous place mm. to start. Mm -hmm. And so just as simple as Googling New Testament and Christian anti-Semitism will bring you a whole host of websites and information. The fact that Jews have been blamed for Jesus's death. Mm -hmm. So sort of looking at that part of history in context. So in a lot of religions, the priests reject the prophets. And so that's not necessarily an uncommon thing. The temple priests were corrupt. There's no way around that. They just were. And again, in that situation, people in power even today are corrupt. And so I think that the Romans were calling the shots. The Jewish people, not the priests, the people were scared to death. Yeah. And I think anybody in that situation would have been scared to death. You did what you had to do to survive. Sure. And so what would you have done if you were them? Yeah. 
So I think just sort of sitting with that question to say that you wouldn't have gotten corrupt if you had the chance to be a priest. Yeah, I'm not sure that you wouldn't have taken that opportunity, right? If you had to take care of your family. Mm -hmm. And so just stepping back and looking at that versus how that situation has been used over and over and over again of the Jews are responsible for killing Jesus. And that's sort of, I think, where much of the anti-Semitism started and, and, and has been brought forth since then. Mm-hmm. And also understanding Jay is not everybody's guy. Mm. So if he is your savior, that's awesome. That is not the truth for everybody. Martha and I actually ended up at an LGBTQ African-American church in Durham for a while and worshiped with them, which was fantastic. And pastor used to say in God's many holy names. Mm. And so just understanding that the way that you worship is not going to be the way that everybody else worships and nobody has the right to try to force their belief on anybody else. And Jesus was a Jew, right? He was Jewish. He was a rabbi. He was a prophet. And so also, I think, remembering that and, and also that, you know, we have a lot of denominations within Judaism as well. And even within those denominations, there are sort of differences and our zealots, right? So our Orthodox are not any different than the Christian right. Mm. And the irony of that for me is that Martha and I were talking today. So Zionism, mm-hmm. right? People who believe that Israel is the homeland, but who do not believe in a two-state solution. The Orthodox Jews have gotten in bed with the Christian right because the Christian right is pro-Israel, but the Christian right is pro-Israel because all the Jews are going to go to Israel and convert to Christianity so that Jesus can come back. So I just find that amusing in in some respects, right? Mm -hmm. So what I will say is, please know that we will not convert to Christianity in the end. Valid. We, if we have the choice, as history has shown in situations, we will practice underground. We will commit yeah. suicide. We will we will die mm-hmm. by suicide before yeah. that happens. And so, I would just ask people to get educated because that same that same anti-Semitism in that in Christianity has also been used against the gay community has been used against many other communities, minority communities Mm -hmm. in those same ways. And it is incredibly powerful and it is incredibly harmful. Yeah. 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 Um, Listeners obviously can't see my face, but I'm sitting here nodding along with you that I hate a lot of the things that Christians have done and the ways that we've stood against people that we're supposed to be loving um, or we've loved them with the agenda of they're going to become Christians um, Mm. instead of loving them for who they are and seeing the value that they have 
I don't think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but at one point when I was in seminary, I was studying an Old Testament passage. I don't even remember which one it was, but I happened to have a friend who was a rabbi. And I said, hey, I'm writing a paper on this passage. Would you be willing to help me out? And the two of us sat down for lunch and he helped me with the passage. But I talk about that day as that's the rabbi who taught me how to read scripture. Because there were points when I was like ready to move forward. And he's like, no, 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 we're still missing something. No, 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 we're still missing something. And I was like, oh my gosh, my eyes have been opened in this one hour lunch in ways that I never even imagined. And I, I was getting a master's degree in divinity. Like I thought I knew how to read scripture until my rabbi taught me. That's a fabulous story. And, and how that resonates with me is when I was sitting in that African-American church, listening to that music, Mm. it cracked my soul open in a completely different way than music at temple did. And I can't explain that it was complete heart and soul felt. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. Mm -hmm. And that I think is more powerful than any teaching or book learning yeah that can ever happen yeah so good for you that's awesome no thank you i'm still learning but that was aren't a pivotal all, moment right? aren't, aren't we, we all? all yeah is the jewish community more welcoming to the lgbtq community than i have seen the christian community be i don't know if you can compare them some and some not so much right so okay. the orthodox again no sure um as a result of that there have become progressive orthodox offshoots Mm-hmm. who have sort of walked away from traditional orthodoxy and created their own. Mm-hmm. And it's taken the conservative movement a longer time to get there. They're definitely in a better place than when I was growing up because I grew up conservative. And now I'm in a reform temple, which okay. usually I think across the board has been pretty good and probably at the forefront as has reconstruction Judaism. And so I think it depends on the congregation and the rabbi, but I think nationally, a lot of them have moved to better places than they have, but not the, for the most part, not the the traditional Orthodox. Okay. Okay. So signs of progress in most of them, but not all of them. Correct. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Okay. That's cool that you've been able to find communities that, that, I was going to use the word accept, but I don't think that's the right word, but that are safe places for both you and Martha with your faith background and the LGBTQ background. They have embraced is the word. They have completely embraced us. And I can't tell you what, what a difference that has made Yeah, from just being accepted or being mm-hmm. put up with or tolerated. Right. So yeah, it's made a huge difference. Has it been hard to find those communities or has it been easy? It has been difficult, not so much of the, us being a couple and being married, but because she's a Quaker and she wears a Quaker bonnet. Mm -hmm. So she's in religious headwear. And so again, if she mentions the J word, if she mentions Christianity, the C word, people have traditionally gotten freaked Mm -hmm. out. And so we went to an event last year that was outside at this temple for Rosh Hashanah. One of the women who I think is in her nineties was a Holocaust survivor, walked up to her and gave her a hug and just said to her, I can't tell you what 
your people did for us during the Holocaust. And thank you. Wow. So talk about powerful, right? Talk about powerful moments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They just have embraced us. Wow. That is remarkable and beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Have you two been able to uh, reconcile the different faiths? Or obviously you're married and I'm sure you love each other, um, but you've still got this distinct faith difference. How do you handle that? We, up until now, we still have to figure out where she's going to land with either Quaker meeting or church since because mm-hmm. we moved right in time for COVID. Sure. And so we're still going to figure that out. But at different points, we were doing both. So I learned through Quaker meeting that I can sit down in a meeting of silence where everybody in that room is praying to Jesus and I'm praying to God Mm -hmm. and I connect with them on this completely spiritual level Mm. and have had some powerful experiences in centering down in Quaker meeting. Again, that has been completely different than sitting in loud temple. Yeah. Right. And, and outward, um, worshiping. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, it's been amazing. Yeah. We had a Jewish Quaker wedding. We had a rabbi who married us under the care of a Quaker meeting. Mm -hmm. And so we, we got married in a Quaker meeting house by a rabbi. Wow. That's cool. So we've always just, it's always been both. Yeah. That's beautiful that, that you are both accepting of both and both willing to encounter God in whatever capacity that looks like for your faith, regardless of the situation. God is a big God and God is a big loving God and God can handle it all. And so can we, right? That's just how it's been for us from the beginning. Amen. (laughs) Is that an appropriate thing to say? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's transition a little bit to talk about HIV AIDS. What is it? HIV AIDS is a virus, right? So flu is a virus and chickenpox is a virus and HIV is a virus that attacks the immune system and basically hijacks it. So the T cells are the quarterback, if you will, and the virus attaches to them and renders them sort of incapacitated. And then all of the other cells are sort of running around on the field with no direction, no leadership, mm-hmm. sort of going haywire. And so it is not contagious like the flu. You can't catch it. It is transmitted through sexual fluids through breast milk and through direct blood to blood contact of somebody who is infected. Okay. And one exposure does not automatically mean you're going to get infected. Mm, Okay. That I did not know. So the more exposures you have, the greater the chance. And depending on what the risk looks like, Mm-hmm. increases your chance of becoming infected. Sure. That makes sense. And then what's the difference between HIV and AIDS? 
So when somebody's T cell count goes below 200 is sort of the cutoff, then they are officially diagnosed with AIDS. Okay. So when Martha first got diagnosed back in 2001, so she's been living with it for a long time. Yeah. She had 48 T cells. So she was almost dead. Yeah. Right. And we joke about that today saying she was mostly dead. She was mostly dead. She was out in the middle of Indiana Mm -hmm. in a hospital where they didn't know anything about HIV or AIDS at the time. Wow. And she was, I would say it's fair to say she was, had some dementia, was delusional. Sure. Because of how sick she was. And in Quakerism, they talk about the still small voice of God inside you. Mm -hmm. She heard that voice Mm -hmm. and the voice told her that she was going to live and that she was going to talk about it and teach about it and write about it and to get people to pray for her because the doctor didn't know what the heck they were doing. Wow. Not through any fault of his own. They just, they didn't have any cases where she was. She was at Earlham School of Religion. Also going to seminary. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that was not a hot spot for HIV back then. Sure. So they didn't know what they were doing. And back in the beginning of that epidemic, they didn't know how to dose people right with the medication. Mm -hmm. And so they killed people, right? It wasn't on, they just, people died from the meds because they didn't know what they were doing. Sure. Wow. And so what has your journey looked like from that point? It's been a roller coaster. So we met in 2002. And so when we got together, I think she had 240 T cells. So she had gotten a little bit healthier. Okay. She had a huge amount of shame. I'm sure. And stigma, right, is a big thing with HIV. Mm -hmm. And so we went on our first date and we were at a restaurant and I remember her looking down at her food and she said to me, I have something I need to tell you. And I'm like, okay. And she told me, and ironically, I had been trained in HIV pre and post-test counseling because I, in the addiction field. Wow. And so I just looked at her and said, oh, okay. And how you do it? Like she expected me to get up and walk out because she had had other people do that to her. Sure. Oh my gosh. And so we joke about how, uh, you know, I don't know that I knew how sick she was at the time. Mm -hmm. And that by the time I sort of realized that I had already fallen in love with her. So it was too late. Sure. (laughs) And so it's been... In the beginning, it was more, there were health concerns and health scares. And we've had to move around a lot to make sure that we have health insurance. And that has mostly been me working full time. Sure. And the medication is not cheap. So having that insurance has been sort of paramount. And so we had to make sure that that was the case. Um, finding communities has sometimes been 
challenging Mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah. Finding good medical care has been challenging depending on where we have been. Sure. The other big thing has been her feeling guilty, I think is probably the best word because I've Mm -hmm. had to do more than my share in the relationship. Again, more so at the beginning, but still even sometimes that the medication is like taking chemo every day. Oh, wow. Right. So I just want people to sit with that, that these are powerful drugs. And right now it's finally one drug a day before Mm. it used to be a lot more. Sure. And the one that she's on is far the cleanest out of all of them that she's in terms of side effects. Sure. Um, Back in the beginning though, you know, there was one day I'll never forget that I walked in and I found her on the kitchen floor, just weeping, Mm. just in tears, just in tears. And it was because of the particular combination that she was on. Mm. And so she had to advocate and fight with her doctor to get her off of it and get her on something else. Mm -hmm. She's one of the smartest people that I know. And I'm not just saying that because I'm her wife. I mean, she was was teaching at Brown at the time. Wow. She is an incredibly intelligent individual and the medication was interfering with her brain Mm. and that's her livelihood. Yeah. And so we've learned a lot about advocacy. Sure. We've learned a lot about what that looks like having white privilege. Mm. Hmm. So her being able to go into her doctor and say, Hey, look, I can't work like this. Right. You need to fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, what about all the other people who maybe were on disability, but still couldn't function because they were on this drug mm. who didn't know how to advocate. Sure. So that's been a part of, of this journey for us. Um, and it's been transformational in, in a lot of ways. The people that we've come in contact with, being able to go out and, again, speak about it, teach about it, write about it. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the stigma earlier. How can I, as a white Christian woman, help end the stigma for people living with HIV? I would say one of the first things is please don't ask people how they got it. Ooh, yeah. Cause you wouldn't go to somebody, Hey, how'd you get your breast cancer? How'd you get that diabetes? Mm. How'd you go into liver failure? Right. So we don't think uh, about yeah. that. People want to know. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, it's none of your business. Valid. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I say that lovingly. Yeah. Um, if the person brings it up, that's their call. Sure. If they don't, it's not okay to ask. And a lot Mm. of people don't know that. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. And, and I think that the second thing is, you know, we think about right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. People will use religion and you're not going to take my religious rights away from me. So I'm going to be unvaccinated and be in a room with other unvaccinated people in the name of God. But I will not be in that same room with somebody who has HIV because of sin. I want to talk about that for a second. Please do. Thank you for calling it out. 
So nobody deserves to get HIV and sexual sin and drug related, intravenous drug related, addiction related HIV does not mean that people are going to get HIV for the reasons I talked about earlier. It depends on risk. It depends on the amount of exposure, the times of exposure. It's not automatic. And the majority of people in the world with HIV who are at the greatest risk are cisgender women. Women having sex with men because. So it's not gay men. Mm -hmm. It's patriarchy. Mm. It is women who don't have control over their fertility. It's women who are sexually assaulted. It's women whose husbands are stepping out on them Mm. and going outside of their marriage and not telling them who are getting infected and then infecting their wives, their girlfriends. We had no idea. Yeah. And people don't necessarily still today don't know that they have it. Oh, wow. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't perceive yourself as being at risk or in risk situations, then people aren't going to get tested. People aren't going to know their status. And so that's still happening in 2021. Sure. That breaks my heart in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Like I knew that I was going to learn some things here, obviously, but um, my heart is, is just breaking for how maliciously and easily it can be transmitted. Yeah. And it's not always malicious. So I think that that's, that's also the, the other big thing is that it, it doesn't always happen maliciously. Again, if people, you don't know what you don't know. Mm, that's a good point. And so it's, it's important for everybody to the best of their ability to protect themselves if possible. Yeah. With that caveat, if possible. Right. Right. That's good. And I, as you're talking about it, I was like, I don't know that I would know my status except that I donate blood. And it's one of the things that they test for, but I've never thought, oh, maybe I've had some sort of HIV exposure. Never even crossed my mind. And the other place that that plays out, which there's protocol for, is post-exposure prophylaxis if there's a needle stick in somebody's job. Mm, Sure. But there's protocol for that. So if that happens, most people, they automatically assume and they put you on medication preventatively to make sure that if there was an exposure that the virus doesn't break through. Sure. So that we've gotten real good at. So that's progress. Yeah. And in and and a lot of ways, again, with the medications, it's a lot cleaner. So there's a lot of good and there's a lot of progress today. It's not, it's not the death sentence that it used to be back in the beginning. So okay. there's a lot of good. Yeah. That's awesome. It's good to hear that, that there is a lot of forward progress and that things are improving, even if there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. What do you wish everyone knew about HIV AIDS? I wish everybody knew that the medication is much better than it was. So Mark and I used to laugh. The term was well-tolerated 
And again, think of taking chemo every day and how well tolerated that is. So still in developing countries, they're getting the old drugs that are not well tolerated at all. Mm. And in this country, again, depending on people's insurance situations or not, they're still using (laughs) the old medication and not everybody has access to the newer, cleaner Mm. stuff. Sure. So that would be one thing is just to, to understand that the virus can do major damage to the body if it's not treated and the medication while saving somebody's life also do damage to the body. Yeah. That's so valid. And I think the other biggest thing is just for people to understand that you can't catch it. It's Mm. okay to be in the same room with people. It's okay to give them a hug. You're not going to get it. And if you get the opportunity to talk to somebody who has it and to listen to their experience, Mm. again, it may touch you in ways that you can't imagine. You know, when, when we lived in, on our first trip to North Carolina, this is our second and hopefully our last trip down here. On our first trip, there used to be a place where people with HIV could go for the day and they'd run different programs and the churches would bring in lunch. So we used to joke about how the Christian ladies would come in to make themselves feel better mm. by providing lunch but like you would never see them sitting down eating mm. with the people who are living with HIV. Mm-hmm. And so if you get the opportunity, have that conversation. That's good. Cause they're survivors. Like they, they are survivors in ways that a lot of us have not had to experience life. Mm-hmm. And I think they, people living with HIV have a lot to teach us. And, and ironically, we're sort of living through a lot of the stuff that they have already experienced with this pandemic Mm, with shame and stigma and, and not having good access and um, the same discriminatory, the same stigma, the same patriarchy, a lot of those same social injustices coming forth yet again, as we continue to try to learn the lessons. Yeah. So let's say that we have the opportunity to have that conversation with somebody. Do you have any recommendations on how to start it? That is a fantastic question. I think I would just be honest. Like if you know that they're living with it, just say, hey, you know, are you willing to talk about your, your journey with it? Mm. And they'll tell you yes or no, right? Yeah. So Martha and I, our philosophy has always been that if somebody summons up the courage enough to invite us into a conversation about that, we're going to take it. Mm. Not everybody may take it. Right. You will not ever know unless you ask. And again, get on the internet and, and, and go do a little bit of research. I've got a recommendation for uh, one website out of the UK, actually. Yeah. What is it? It's called avert, A-V-E-R-T dot org. Okay. And so that's a great place to start for people. Okay. And then going back to the Judaism, I've mm-hmm. got a couple there too. Great. Um, J- JewishLearning.com. Ooh. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's another one called globaljews.com. Okay. So one of the things that I learned this year is about Jewish people of color mm. and Jews all over the world, because it's not in my circle. Sure. Right. Most of my Jewish friends are white. And so that has been a wonderful learning experience for me to get to know how Asian Jews celebrate holidays and how African-American Jews celebrate holidays from different parts of the world. So keep learning. Just there's a lot of information out there. And I think that for me, it makes me a better person. Mm -hmm. I love learning. And thank you for sharing those resources. Those are new ones to me. And we will make sure to link them in the show notes as well. Great. So Lisa, how can we honor you well? As someone who is Jewish, as someone who's in a family affected by HIV, as someone who associates, that's not the right way to phrase that. Sorry, I was trying to be sensitive and it just didn't come out right. As someone who is LGBTQ, how can we honor you well? I think just going and learning about different communities that may not look the same as yours. Mm. And learning about the points, again, going back to the the places in Christianity that are incredibly harmful and seeing what you can do differently there. So if you have never been to a temple and you have one in your neighborhood, go reach out to the rabbi or if you belong to a church, have your pastor, your priest reach out to the rabbi mm-hmm. um, and see about doing a program together, going to services like just, and, and, and if there are people in, you know, if there's an LGBT organization, again, right in your neighborhood, right? You don't have to look that far or an agency that is dealing with HIV and AIDS. Mm. Um, go see if there's some way that you can help. Yeah. That's good. I love conversations like this because I feel like they're just a starting place. You know, like we can sit here and chat and I've learned some things from you, but it doesn't matter until I actually put it into action. And what does it look like to make sure that I'm living differently because I got to chat with Lisa, because I heard parts of Martha's story, you know, because I've, I've done what I've done. How am I living differently because of it? And the great part is, is that you can have that look any way that you want. Yeah you get to make maybe different choices because of this. And I wholeheartedly thank you and, and your listeners for listening and for me being able to, to share it. Definitely. And so how can that, how can that be different? How can you live into that in a way that maybe wasn't possible before? And now it maybe is. Yeah. That's exciting to me. Super exciting. I know for me, I mentioned this to you earlier and I've mentioned it on the show before, like that's the whole reason Have Hope Will Travel exists because I was listening to some of my Jewish friends talk about what it's like to be Jewish in December. And I realized, oh my gosh, they've got an important valued um, opinion that needs to be shared. And so originally my thought was, well, I'm just going to say, let's talk about saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And I was like, that's dumb. Why don't I bring my Jewish friends on the show and let them say it in their own words? And I think it's great. And I learned that folks in India have a festival of lights from your show. I didn't know that. Yeah. That was the episode 53 with crunch. We talked about Diwali. Yeah. So I absolutely love that and went, Oh, great. I can identify with that, even though it's a different story 
Mm-hmm. There's still a festival lights up place house. Awesome. Yes. Yes. It's fun to learn different things like that. And I learned so much from all of the shows, which is so fun. Then I have one final question for you. It's just kind of a fun one. All right. If you could be any inanimate object, what would you be and why? I'm going to say I would be a car. Ooh. Because then I could travel all kinds of places and explore things. I love that. I love the traveling answers because there are so many fun ways to travel and so many, so much the world to explore. So I love the car answer. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story, for educating us, for giving us resources so we can continue to educate ourselves. This has been impactful to me and I know that it has been to others as well. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing this podcast. so much from Lisa. I hope that you did as well. We are in the midst of Hanukkah right now, November 8th to December 6th. World AIDS Day is coming up on December 1st. So if you've got someone in your world who is celebrating Hanukkah, who has been diagnosed with HIV or AIDS, or is otherwise affected by it, this would be a good time to start a conversation. Listen to some of Lisa's tips and see what would be a safe way to do that. Ask the person if they're comfortable having a conversation about it. Tell them you listen to this podcast and you're interested in learning more. You want to know if their story is similar to Lisa's or what's different about their story. One thing that Lisa has done for me that I really appreciate, she reviewed the podcast. Yes, she did. Well before this show even aired, she reviewed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind hitting that subscribe button, hitting the five-star rating, and throwing in a review just like Lisa has done. It's one of the ways that other people can find the show, other people can learn, and we're able to bring in other really fun guests like Lisa to be able to learn from them. So I would love it if you would do that as well. If you have ideas for people that you would love to hear on the show, let me know. I'm planning the early 2022 schedule right now. I've got some great ideas myself. Can I say that about my own ideas? Is that arrogant? I just did. I hope that was okay. Please don't put that in your review that you think Katie's arrogant because she called her own ideas great. Um, that'd be weird. But anyway, I've got some ideas myself, but I also want to know who do you want to hear from? What kind of stories do you want to hear? What voices do you feel like are currently underrepresented? I am well aware that there are some voices that are underrepresented on this show, and I am trying to fix it, but it is hard. So if you have a story yourself, if you know someone who has a story, feel free to send them my way. You can either do it on Instagram at Katie Axelson, or you can do it at katieaxelson.com. My email address is katie at katieaxelson.com. That's what I was trying to give you. And then this was going to be a really smooth transition into katieaxelson.com is where we are celebrating Advent this year. So if you have been around for a while, you know that the time before Christmas is called Advent. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love preparing my heart for the coming of the Savior. But we're not doing that on the podcast this year so that we can bring in guests like Lisa who get to share their stories and their perspectives. However... You know me well enough to know that I am still celebrating Advent in my own life, and I would love to share that with you if that's something you're interested in. If you go to katieaxelson.com, you can pop your email address in there, and I will send you some more information about how I'm celebrating Advent and maybe an invitation if you wanted to celebrate with me as well. Be blessed, my friends. Know that you are loved. Know that you matter. Know that your courage is important. You are seen. You are known. You are loved. And you have a story worth sharing. 
we'll see you again soon. 